0: i realized that this is the future right so as a human being but also as a designer i need to embrace that future and stay curious about it
1: i'm ben and you're listening to the climate pivot for today's episode i talked with Alfej bart he's a senior visual designer based at strategic design firm Designit, and he's worked with globally recognized clients across a range of different industries Recently, he's been focusing on ethical and environmentally responsible projects and acting as an advocate for these values in both his professional and personal life. We talked about El Alpeja's career journey, his personal climate awakening and the complex relationship between individual, collective and corporate responsibility. I found his whole approach to improving his climate impact really unique and inspiring. And I think his story is a perfect illustration of why we need people of all working backgrounds to take on this challenge. Obviously, we haven't met in person. So if you could imagine that we're at a dinner party and we've just met and we've been sat down beside each other. How would you introduce yourself and how would you describe what you do? Currently, I'm senior visual
0: designer. That's how we describe it from a professional perspective. What we we'll say afterwards, it's really around like helping brands to adjust and transform to the future. And that means like rebuilding trust in terms of like build or like rebuild experiences that are responsible, ethical and good for the people and the planet. And I think trying to transform what maybe a CEO, like someone from a tech startup has in mind and try to think about all the parameters that they have to think about when it comes to creating new products or experiences that are relevant for today's world.
1: Is it possible to give a concrete example of what that might look like?
0: Yeah, of course. So for example, I used to work for a couple of years at Publicis Sapient, which is a large firm when it comes to digital transformation. And one of the clients I used to work with, it's one of the UK large high street banks. So one of the projects I had the pleasure to work on was around climate strategy and especially the carbon footprint tracker. So again, thinking about this, like how can we transform something that is quite abstract for people into an experience that is quite tangible? For example, if you Ben, you go to Tesco and you buy, I don't know, like uh, 20 quid of food and drinks, then your app will be able to kind of estimate how much that amount of money could be from a carbon emission, and I think that project, when it comes to you know translating that business goal into something that is actually easy to understand for people, that was quite challenging. So if I said to you like, okay, your 20 quid, 20 pounds spent at Tesco, it's the same as 0.1 kilo of CO2 emission you would probably say to me like, Elfish, what does he mean? (laughs) Like, I don't understand. So how can you help the brand and the bank to make sure that estimation is actually tangible, but also meaningful and, you know, giving some examples where people can relate to. And obviously, I think outside of just the project itself about educating people about carbon emission and what you do as an individual. I think the most interesting part of this project for me has been to also challenge the, the bank itself around like, it's great to ask people about the individual impact, but also you should share as a bank what you do because bank are not obviously, as everyone knows, the greenest businesses. So how can we share the narrative of what you are doing and also the strategy uh, that
1: you have for the short and long-term future to also show to your customers that you are doing something That's so interesting. And I think you've already touched on five or six different points I'd like to get into because (laughs) there's kind of the the whole thing around individual responsibility versus corporate responsibility. There's also the question of how can and should organisations communicate their climate impact and their climate interventions. And then there's also this question of how do you make something tangible that has the potential to be really dry and abstract And I just wondered if you could touch on that bit a bit more, what you did, for instance, in that situation and what you've learned from those sorts of processes. I think the first element is around trying to unpack
0: the business challenge and then trying to rephrase it as a design brief. And then from there, fully understand what it means for everyone involved in that process. But also, because sometimes as designers, we develop ideas, but sometimes due to budget, we cannot test it. And thankfully, with this bank and, and this project especially, we had resource to actually showcase examples of like prototypes that we created to kind of validate and also understand better how people felt about this. So that's the first point. I think test your ideas and see how people react. And throughout that research, it's been fascinating to see. I think we had like literally a large range of people from someone who was like really involved in climate action so for example i remember exactly that this guy profile he was saying like i'm vegan during the week i'm doing xyz on my day-to-day so why the bank should tell me something and on the opposite side we had someone else who was not believing in climate change so again how can you (laughs) make sure that the final experience that you create and the solution that you want to put forward kind of Works for most of customers for them to to make sure the topic, but also the tool itself resonates. So throughout that that research area of this the project, I I will say that the fascinating thing was around language. So again, what type of language you use, and how do you make sure people understand? Which means that it could be someone living in the city or someone living very remotely, and how do you make sure that this resonates to most of the people? Then obviously testing those different prototypes, you realize that some of those ideas might not actually work. They might work from the business perspective, but not from the end user. So again, how do you make sure at the end that you challenge both perspectives and try to kind of refine the narrative, but also how you come across with that tool that you are creating?
1: I just so love hearing hearing about this from your perspective, because I've spent the last kind of two or three years thinking about climate communication but from a creative industries and kind of academic perspective and don't often get to have a chance to talk about it within this kind of sphere so it's really exciting to compare that and see what's going on there. I wondered if we could talk a bit about design as your way into these questions. I just firstly would like to hear a bit about your kind of personal history with design what was your way into it what was your educational training or early career? Before design, I've studied
0: economic and sociology with political option and also art. And I think this better understanding of the world we are in from all of those perspectives kind of also helped me throughout my career to understand how to create empathy with, for example, people from specific groups. So I think it started from this, I will say from the human aspect of things, then art has played an important part at the end of my 20s. And then pretty quickly, I think I've been kind of fascinated by the role of designers because designers, obviously, it's a very large panel of roles from architecture to fashion designer to digital designer to someone who are creating types, signage, like everything, every aspect of our lives. So I think in terms of creativity, I found this field Very inspiring and also helping you, I mean, asking you to keep yourself up to date with what's going on in the world from every angle. It could be from the cost of living to new technology and so on and so forth. So I grew up in the Champagne region in France, where I spent my first 20 years. Over there, I studied digital communication and also multimedia, which now we call digital. Yeah, I spent like three years studying all of this. And then I moved in London in two thousand fourteen for a personal reason to kind of learn English because my level was just not there. So yeah, I've done an internship here, and my plan was to move back to France and move to Paris to do a master degree. But after a month in London, to be honest, so again I was twenty twenty one. So you have to imagine I'm from a village as well, very countryside region. So for me, it was like a big step in terms of scale, but also like level of inspiration and pretty quickly i was like this city is gonna bring me so much in terms of obviously references from a design perspective but also all the innovative aspects of what london has so pretty quickly i decided just to stay and see how it goes and then I moved on through different roles from, again, different companies, from small startup with three people up to Publicis Sapient, part of Publicis Group with more than 80,000 people, and also worked in different industries. So I've already talked about financial services, but also worked with insurance or luxury brands, food brands. Ocado was a really in- interesting one, thinking about you know how the technology works for you to to get your shopping basket delivered faster and better. So yeah, I've kind of learned from all of these different experiences. And I think, as I said before, what I love about my job is the ability to learn from those different industries and reusing knowledge from others into
1: another one that might not be linked, but actually might face the same challenge. Two things that jumped out to me from that were one, this idea of trying loads of things and bringing different areas of expertise to whatever kind of challenge you tackle next which from my experience feels like almost like a metaphor for what we're all having to do as we think about tackling the climate crisis you know it's a lot of people who don't necessarily have skill sets that are an obvious match you know if they're not engineers or, or whatever are kind of having to think about how can I use the skills knowledge and experience I have to tackle this problem and so I think I think that kind of diverse career really sets you up well for that I imagine Also, just, you know, when you're talking about design, I'd never heard it expressed in quite that way. But you seem to be touching on this sense of like the world we live in is designed and there's so much that we take for granted. And I'm just kind of looking around the room I'm in now and it's mostly like (laughs) book covers that have been designed and furniture that's been designed. And I'm just thinking this is it's quite terrifying, almost like how how invisible it becomes, but how essential it is to everything we surround ourselves with. Was that kind of a, a realization that really prompted your your career journey?
0: So again, learning from different experiences, exploring different things from print design to digital design, different industries. I think, and I'm also a very curious person. So I think again, back to when I moved here, I used to spend far, the first five months exploring something across the city every single day. So I think this curiosity and interest about almost everything grew when I moved here to a point that sometimes it's a bit too much (laughs) because I always want to to go everywhere and try to see the, the, the latest things that the city offers, but also outside the city. And I think, yeah, this is probably like, it's a very interesting question. I think it kind of grew in parallel until I had my kind of realization of like, wow, as a designer, obviously... I have a responsibility to everything I create, and obviously when it comes to to climate and the products we are creating, which I think it's something that we talked about in school, but I was not really resonating at the time with this topic. To be fully honest with you, I think it required me more maturity personally to fully understand what that meant. Even if it was an interesting topic, don't get me wrong, but. I think at the time I just wanted to do like things and projects that obviously had an impact, but not especially from that perspective.
1: Always interested to hear about people's realisations or or moments or periods where where climate and the environment became more central in their thinking. Was it gradual? Was it sudden? Was there anything that you can attribute it to?
0: I think it was gradually growing in my mind without me realising it fully. Just to give you an example, my diploma project was actually around food and how can we help people eat better and eat seasonal products and also creating like shortcuts, so working with local farmers, so on and so forth. So I think it started with this project when I kind of started to grow this topic around food and agriculture and obviously design, but I think the big year for me has been 2019, So not a long time ago, I've done a solo trip in Southeast Asia around April, May. Then on my way back here, I watched a documentary on Arte, which is, I don't know if you heard about it. It's a beautiful uh, European public service channel dedicated to culture. And I watched something around how can you travel more sustainably. So again, just curiosity. And after this, which was very fascinating and engaging, I realized that my trip to Southeast Asia was actually almost over my yearly amount of carbon emission as a human being. So following this, I started to kind of do more research, calculate my own estimation of my individual carbon footprint and compared it to the Paris Agreement at the time. And I'm really glad this website is still live it's called shameplane.com. So again, I was really comparing again, London to Hanoi and trying to understand what that meant. And again, having this really tangible and digestible information was something that the website provided me. And to me, it's been, it felt like a storm. I was like, wow, okay. I used to travel a lot. I used to fly a lot across Europe and also outside Europe. And I really realized that maybe I was just not on the right path. And that even if I thought that traveling, and I still think traveling is really important, don't get me wrong, maybe I was not doing it the the right way. And I just like continue researching on this topic. And I realized that it was just not aligned with the way I was living. So again, following this, I just continue researching to fully understand the kind of scale of impact you can have as an individual. We kind of often talk around, don't use plastic, don't do this, don't do this. But actually... You can do things that are very impactful and you do not have to to not fly anymore or become vegan. Personally, after this, so, so I was challenged with my job at the time because we were meeting Heineken in Amsterdam and... The business said, like, yeah, we're going to fly to Amsterdam. And I was like, hey, guys, like, is there no like, a way for us to maybe go with the Eurostar? Because, you know, we could work in the Eurostar. So, again, you have to think at the, at the time, it was pre-COVID. So, this kind of discussions were, let's say, more complex. So, anyway, I'm glad I managed to do, like, one way with the Eurostar and one way back. And that what that was actually the last time I flew. So, that was, like, yeah, more than four years ago now. Wow. So, that was, yeah, July. Then in August, September, I started to look at meat. So fly was the first thing I wanted to cut. Then looking at the food. So it's important to say also that moving to the UK, I started to, as a French man, to reduce my consumption of meat, mainly because of the quality, I think, and because it's not the same culture. So I was also discovering like other food cuisines, which was very fascinating. So I kind of progressively reduced and mainly eating chicken. But what I wanted to do is just to kind of put myself a challenge around like, okay, just eat meat once a week. And I think I've done this for one or two weeks and then I just stopped completely. Other things that I started to do, which is again, people might not be aware of this, but the bank you are banking with, it's also very important. So I changed my bank from Barclays, which is one of the worst in the UK, to Triodos. So again, I started to do more research around like fully understanding what are the best options out there that will meet my new values because i really understand and i really feel those things are not they're just part of my value right so yeah so i moved to to triodos which is a non-light bank and it's one of the most ethical and environmental friendly bank across the globe and again back to the conversation around carbon emission that we had at the beginning If you open a savings account, they kind of show you a breakdown of like how it impacts community. So they focus on financing culture, environmental projects and social initiatives. So none of your money is going to finance non-climate friendly projects, which I think it's really good. And yeah, if you don't feel changing your diet or reduce your travel plans, maybe that's something you can investigate to have a big impact as an individual. If we want to kind of keep this planet as we know it, we need to start changing. There's a famous quote that says, like, you should change what you can do first before asking people to change. And I think this quote really helped me and still driving me through this
1: kind of thought process. What I love about the story you've just told is that it feels like you approached the question of climate and your relation to it as a almost like a design challenge. How can I A, sort of understand, and you described it in quite visual terms, really, your impact across these different areas, and B, actually intervene and kind of redesign your life around that. I wondered, just on a personal level, as you're making these changes, did you experience resistance from people around you? Because I speak to a lot of people who feel that whether it's having to have their friends cook different food for them, or suddenly having to say to your friend like actually I can't come to your birthday party and wherever because I've had my allocation of flights this year or I'm not flying or whatever it is yeah have you felt any resistance from that
0: great question and I'm glad you asked that question I think when I started this thought process I didn't know where I was going to this kind of embracing the unknown and then pretty quickly I realized that yes as you said receiving a lot of resistance from people But mainly, and that's why I think I'm really insisting on this, mainly because people don't know. And because they don't know, then they resist and they kind of continue saying what media or like what they heard around them, traditions or, you know, which, again, from a human perspective, I'm guessing it's normal to kind of react. But also, I think to spark this idea of curiosity and actually listening attentively to someone, whatever they do, it could be like, yeah, all the examples you gave to understand, but Mate, like, actually, why are you doing this? And again, fully listen to the answer. But yeah, I've been quite challenged and surprised from less friends, maybe, probably like more family. Some just don't understand or some feel they're threatened to their own way of living, which again, it's important, I think, to communicate that when you start doing those things, it's important to encourage people, but also to say that I'm not I mean, implicitly, I could challenge the way you are living, but who am I to tell you how to live? Like, I used to do exactly the things that you used to do. I used to eat meat all the time to travel, as I said, like flying all over. So I don't think I have the responsibility to to do this. However, I'm accountable to, to share the knowledge I've learned throughout that journey. So I think, to me, I've been learning on the go. So working on this kind of agile approach for the past few years. And after those resistance... People, it's like, it's like, you know, then they adapt to those changes. You still have resistance, don't get me wrong. But I think the magic about it is to see the ripple effect he had to friends, family, also colleagues. I think, yeah, this is definitely something, again, that was not expecting. Some friends who now are like, oh, no, I'm going to travel by train instead of flying. Or like even like looking at the option of thinking about it, which to me, it's a huge victory or like the beginning of like a positive hope towards the future. But also from those challenging times, I will say, how this kind of transformed into something that was actually more nourishing. My sister, for example, she didn't ask me any questions. She was like, oh, you are annoying. Like, why are you doing this? Like, the the plane is still going to go even if you are not here. She was just not understanding it. And it actually took her like three years to ask me, So that was last summer. She was like, but actually, why are you doing this? And I had to explain for like a very big length of time, all my journey. And she was like, ah, okay. Like she thought it was just not that. She thought it was just like, oh, something that we will try and, you know, maybe like stop at some point, which from my perspective was quite interesting to kind of hear from someone that I really love and be like, no but like this is actually something it's a transformation then, and like a, a process again Less a transformation i think i feel more aligned to who i am doing this than continuing after knowing what i've learned the way i used to live
1: yeah that really resonates i i definitely feel now that there are certain things that i do because i i do still fly like i i feel really uncomfortable about it and i do through another podcast i do we've learned a lot about kind of offsetting well and doing it as well as you can and it's obviously a really imperfect industry but there are some good examples and so I do always make sure to offset well when I fly and if I can't afford to then I will wait a couple of months until I can and so that I do it well rather than just like the kind of two pound option that you get when you're booking a flight (laughs) but I still I still feel like I'm doing something that doesn't fully align with my values and that is that is an odd feeling but I, I loved what you said about of sharing your journey with people who are close to you because i think what it immediately does is it creates this kind of humility if you share that story of like yes i'm on that journey and it's such a you know it's going to be a lifelong journey that's so much more relatable and invites people into dialogue which i think is is really powerful yeah and thanks for sharing because
0: yeah i think it's also very inspiring to to hear other people's stories and even if Back to what you said about tensions, I think now I will just not approach it the same way as I have approached it before. I think now I will say to people, "What does it make you feel? Why are you reacting like this?" And then try to unpack it. It's not easy. <laughs> you, you're gonna have difficult conversations on the journey, but life is not easy. And again, you've got lots of books around this, like how can you unpack, like common sentences that people are going to throw to you and try to answer them meaningfully and calmly. Because at the end of the day, it's not a war. It's like we're all on the same boat and we're just trying to do our best. And the tensions I've got today, they are not the same. But sometimes people think that you know everything because you are on that journey. And I think it's important to communicate that no one will be able to know everything. And as you rightly say, it's a lifetime exploration. So just also saying like I I don't know, but we can do some research together and unpack this project, why not? Like, you know, keep it open and interactive as much as possible.
1: Definitely. Something I loved that you said a moment ago was about how, you know, making these changes in your life is almost you have a responsibility to model certain behaviours. I always say to people that the best reason to recycle, actually in my view is not the primary impact of that recycling because recycling is a really imperfect technology and you never quite know, you know, in any particular context, how useful that's going to be. But what you're doing is showing people, actually, there are interventions you can take and you can be more mindful of the materials you use and the materials embedded in products you buy and so on. But yeah, and I, I think to me, what you've touched on really is that there's like a fine line maybe between individual responsibility, collective, corporate. I wonder if you could develop that a bit and tell me a bit more about your views on it yes of course so
0: back to what i said earlier around start by understanding yourself almost like as you, I, I think i really like the way you, you put it it's true that i'm approaching this journey as a design challenge i never realized this but you are totally right <laughs> and maybe that's why also i find this pretty exciting as a journey and so i think that the main challenge is you've got some limitation around like what can be your individual impact, right? And then usually you come across like those big stats that says just 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global emission or like carbon emissions of the richest 1% more than double the emission of the poorest half of humanity. And again, then you're like, oh, sure. Like, oh, why should that bother? So I think you've got a few things here. One is we all need to do something whoever you are wherever you are based and i think especially in richest country due to the legacy we created in the past few decades so then throughout my personal journey i realized that okay i've got some limits i can educate people around me and talk about these topics but then to have a bigger impact i felt like okay next level almost like a you know a video game like okay i've done the first the first game the next level it's that second scale which is around business this is when I started to work on projects that were a bit more aligned to those things but it's worth also saying that before that journey I used to work as a designer with clients that were not fully aligned to my values from a nittical perspective and this is also when I started to realize as a designer that you can have limits and you have the opportunity to say no to things which I think is important to remind people sometimes. And again, trying to unpack and learn. So I'm currently doing like more more and more training to understand how you can transform businesses to a more um, circular or regenerative uh, model and help then clients to go throughout that journey from sustainability to circularity and regeneration. And back to what we said, unpack it very simply so it's easier for people to digest. If someone says, Right. My individual impact is less important than my business impact. So I'm focusing on my business rather than my personal. Sure. Great. But then if you don't have a company or if you are not driving any of those actions locally uh, from like a a charity or activism or politics, I think everyone has an opportunity to act at whatever scale they decide. And I think this is important to, to say And again, I think like some really inspiring people are doing great work at local level. And then how can those actions can inspire other actions at bigger scales? I think that's fascinating. And sometimes I think it's really inspiring to look at other countries to see what they do. Some countries who have the lowest impact are still driving those meaningful things. So, for example, the Palo pledge, I don't know if you heard about it. So this is like a project that emerged a few years ago now which is back to what you were saying then around how at smaller scale you can drive change. So this island it's very famous for tourism but as those very remote places you can imagine that tourism and intense tourism can damage their land through plastic pollution but also like noise and so on and so forth so what they created is a very smart project connecting tourists local authorities and businesses which means that from a tourist perspective before entering and leaving the airport you're gonna have to sign a pledge that has been written by the people of this island so again connecting low i mean it's not a low but like you know authorities local authorities and driving this project that First, bring awareness to tourists, but also bring a beautiful narrative. So as a tourist, you've got like a list of local businesses that are doing really good, like related to that pledge. As a tourist, first, it's is inspiring, but also he has a beautiful and positive impact on local communities and future generations of this island. So yeah, that's a project I love sharing because I think it's touching so many things that are very important. In those discussions when it comes to climate and engagement and you know
1: meaningful work Mm. the whole idea of of getting people to pledge is a really simple way actually to start to nudge behavior you're getting kind of buy-in really and i think when people feel engaged and respected and like they're sharing in a responsibility there's probably much less resistance you talked about this this personal awakening, and you've you've touched on kind of this idea of like leveling, going to the next level, which is integrating <laughs> yeah. this into your into your kind of professional life, which I which I love, and I think is is quite similar to the way I think about this as well. So I could really see that when you described it. Could you talk to me about like the first kind of few months of thinking? Okay, this is now this is now a career goal or a career value as well as a personal one. I think pretty quickly when I started to learn,
0: I realized that this is the future, right? So as a human being, but also as a designer, I need to embrace that future and, you know, fully understand it and stay curious about it. Then once you kind of reach the level one of your individual impact, then I was like, sure. I mean, I've got the ability through my role to actually act and do positive impact and drive further conversations and, you know, positive change. And my industry like as an industry, we have to because it's estimated that 80% of all product-related environmental impacts are determined at the design phase of a product. Wow! As designers, we've got the opportunity to pick whatever we're going to use from a material perspective to a platform, so on and so forth. So we are accountable for these choices.
1: What did it look like practically when you started, when you went to level two, what did you do? What did I do? Start
0: to learn more from a business perspective, because I kind of thought that I had like great foundations from an individual aspect. So I guess that's the first one. You kind of wider your horizons and understand at company level. Then is to have those conversations with your clients, with your colleagues and drive them because otherwise they might not happen. And this is, again, something I'm doing currently in my new job. I'm not so new now. We started to have a team in London and try to be connected with the sustainability team of Design It to, again, like, see what we can do. And what I'm trying to do currently is to drive those new leads. So that means that once you understand better how that works, then how can you get that job coming to you? So I'm trying to help uh, business developers to maybe contact some specific businesses, but also like reviving existing collaborations because this topic is touching every industry at different levels. If you think about the food industry, for example, they are going to be impacted by it from a resource scarcity and the changing of the seasons and the access to water. But also if you just think about what we've seen in the past few years around the the price of electricity and the cost of living, this is impacting every industry so again how can you drive those conversations meaningfully using what's going on right now and maybe another element that would be worth sharing now is a design residency that the company i'm working at launch which is around do no harm which is Something that is not used at the minute, widely in the design industry. And we had an international focus group of a few people from, again, different roles. So not only designers. And try to think how we can apply this principle of do no harm, which is much more a sustainable angle rather than circular or regenerative. Just to kind of put this on the scale of the journey of, of a green st- strategy. And again, like we had to go through different topics, talking through the different lenses that we just discussed, Ben, like from individual communities, businesses and ecosystems and how throughout all the projects you do, you can challenge these and you can have an impact and you can harm people. So this project also in this residency has been phenomenal for me to learn more again. (laughs) So, yeah, I think this is my work in progress journey of number two. (laughs) <laughs> and number three i don't know if i will move to level number three which it's more like at system level but why not who knows like i think this requires even more you know knowledge and skills and stronger almost suitcase of like examples and things but why not who knows and maybe i will see you on the journey
1: yeah definitely <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think what level three looks like but it's certainly something yeah more systems focused just
0: just on this brands are also new democracies. So this is something I've heard, like, I think it was four or five years ago at a design event. And I think that was so strong because we see a decline in trust in politicians and political unrest all across the globe. And I think if you just think around big brands like Apple, for example, creating schools, hospitals, banks, they are creating their own societies. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it could be inspiring when it comes to creating more positive systems and more responsible ones.
1: Mm. Sort of acknowledging the systems we're part of and the almost the citizenships that we hold as citizens and consumers in this like, incredibly complex, globalized world. Yeah, that's really interesting. This could be completely wrong. So let me know if it is. Mm-hmm. But my, my impression from what you've said is that as a complete, total outsider to your line of work... Design traditionally might be quite a responsive initially position to be in because somebody is coming to you with like a design problem or a new product, a new brand, a new system that a designer is then bringing their expertise and their skill set to. And it feels a bit from what you've described as if this sort of pivot that you've made is is moving maybe into a slightly more sort of prospecting kind of role of solving problems that maybe companies, organisations don't know they have yet. Would you say that's true? So that's a great question.
0: I had discussions a couple of weeks ago with a new client uh, related to the food industry, and we just wanted to unpack some of the key themes that are related to the 21st century complexity landscape. And some of them were already part of the annual report, or like you know the things and strategies they're doing. But also, I think we—it's almost like consultant, right? More. And like, not activists, but more like advocates and trying to kind of drive these things. And I think to go back to what you said about design as an industry, everything we do is to create things. So, and everything you create emits at some point. And what I've been learning, for example, because I'm mainly focusing right now on the digital industry is the emission of this industry are just crazy. Currently, it's like 4% of the worldwide CO2 emissions. And this is the real impact of the digital that we think is just transparent, but actually we need data center, we need aircon, we need electricity. We need all of these to make sure all of those websites, apps, whatever we create are accessible. And I think the important thing to mention here is like those emissions related to digital are just going to double in the next few years which just to give an equivalent, currently it's more the entire amount produced by airline companies worldwide. And by doubling this, it means there will be the amount of all car emissions on the planet, which is huge. So again, like I feel as designers, how could we create greener digital products? How could we code, design, imagine new products with lower carbon emission, but not only from that angle, how could we create new legislations, process, methods tools to help people reduce this and i believe like back to what you said about politics i think politics are important to create those guidances but also i think as we see it they're a bit too slow sometimes or like just not doing enough or fast enough so again it's so inspiring to see all of those small and medium businesses creating meaningful things to kind of act and show that this is possible and then inspiring bigger organizations. So but again, how companies can build the right language to make sure people understand and take the responsibility of this at the beginning, because this is where the emission of the product is the highest. So I think there's a lot to do around this. Greenwashing, I think, is one of the biggest threats in this. It's a disruptor that kind of make everything a bit more blurry to everyone, which I think is a big risk. So again, I think, yeah, we we there's a lot of work to do. And I think it's super exciting to be part of this.
1: Interesting that you touched on greenwashing, because I guess that's maybe where design can be misused in this context to tell a false story or a, or a different story. I um, was recently challenged by an idea that I was at a conference uh, a few months ago where Somebody in the impact investing world suggested that actually, from his point of view, greenwashing was a positive signal because it indicated that there is a need for it and that that is the story people want to be told. It's something I haven't quite resolved in my mind. I just wondered if you had any reflections on that.
0: That's a great point. And I love sometimes to be challenged on things. I understand why the person is saying this because he kind of creates a narrative between having nothing and having green products and having greenwashing. But I think the risk here is by greenwashing your customers, you bring this feeling of making them feel good about what they buy, whereas what they buy is not good. Which I think this is a massive risk. Because if as a customer you, you feel good and, and, and obviously those brands want to make feel good, but then the risk is like again to to have a society that is kind of denying the issue we are facing. We don't have the time to play with this at the moment. We really need to, you know, embark on a journey that it's like responsible as much as possible. And like, you know, those brands which are probably doing greenwashing probably have like a legacy of like crap. And I think it comes back to the education point that I'm making. For example, as a brand, so if I'm a greenwashing brand and you are Ben doing the best thing on earth, how could you, as a leader, use your brand? as a way to educate people it could be about food waste if you are i don't know doing a beer with leftover bread or whatever it could be so many things and i think those narratives just needs to be a bit more on the forefront and yeah this is a, a systemic issue <laughs> back mm. to media and like what are the stories we are being exposed to
1: yeah i and i i love that because i i too believe in the power of storytelling, really, that that's really what connects me to this this whole conversation and why I want to have these conversations with other people, because all of us in our, in our working lives are tasked with telling stories in some way. And it's really interesting to me to dig into that. There was something you said about how consumers might feel good about buying an unethical product, for want of a better word, you know, if, if greenwashing has been successful. And I think that actually is really backed up by data, that if we have purchased products labeled as ethically sourced or organic or vegan or any of these labels we feel like we've sort of bought the right to overconsume in other areas or to to behave less ethically in certain areas and it's really fascinating but but it's almost like we're sort of doing these micro calculations all the time in our brains and in the aggregate that can have a really really negative effect i wondered in your experience has the the world of design and the and the professional world that you inhabit has it been receptive for conversations about sustainability climate justice and so on do you feel like you're in a supportive environment for that
0: because we are dealing with different industries we are obviously talking about these things when it comes to uh, resource scarcity that i talked about when it comes to product design so how might we still design things in an unlimited number on a planet with finite resources And how could we, for instance, like upcycle pre-loved materials or repurpose them in a circular regenerative way? How could we start maybe sharing the footprint of each item? So the food we eat to the clothes we buy, the electric vehicle, cars, or also like all the devices that we use. And again, there are some some great things here and there that starting, but it's still like a bit wobbly, Uh, but it's good to try. And some of the brands that we are seeing right now are already doing some very transparent things. There's a brand that we really love because they are showing you the total impact and a breakdown of each point of the supply chain. And this brand is an eco-friendly underwear brand called Organic Basics. And I think they are really inspiring from the product perspective itself, but also from the digital industry, because they created this manifesto about how can you design digital products better with a lower impact. So I think, yeah, there are so many things around there that are really inspiring. And yeah, I think this industry, like any, it's part of this. But I think we are maybe looking at those themes with a kind of forecasting a lens in some of the projects we looked at, which kind of helps sometimes to predict how the world could be in 10 20 or 30 years and try to build those transformations at different levels together
1: well that's interesting because my one of my final questions was going to be what can the rest of us learn from the design world about how to tackle this crisis and so much I think you've kind of answered that question during our whole conversation in a way like I've started to think differently about how can I use design as a way into these challenges is there anything else you'd want to add to that just stay curious, I think that's the
0: main thing. It's really interesting to look at inspiring projects that have been successful and that have driven, sorry, that have driven <laughs> positive <laughs> impact on communities and, and people and the planet. So just look around and I'm sure you're gonna find things that you were not aware of. It could be literally at your doorstep
1: yeah and just like that documentary that started this chain of events for you i think so often seeing these things in action seeing these kind of case studies of, r- of real changes that have been made can be incredibly hope inspiring and activating
0: yeah just just to build up on this because we talked a bit about mobility and i think maybe sometimes again we we just don't know that this exists so i'm just gonna share a final story if that's okay Around when you decide to fly less or just like stop flying, you have to transform the way you think about mobility overseas. But also, you start realizing that if you are in Europe, you have so many great things happening. For example, now if you are in the English capital, you can use uh, a night train that connects London to Berlin. You have so many night trains across Europe, but also so many great connections that are uh, happening and exists I personally did uh, a couple of inter trips one in Italy and another one last year during three months across Europe and again like to some people and they kind of respond what you, you were saying initially about not resistance but like and you can answer people's questions but actually I met friends just using trains to Palermo or in Sicily or Athens so it's, it's possible. It just requires more time and you have to kind of rethink the way you travel. But it's, it's definitely possible. And I think same if you are, for example, in, in the UK, uh, you've got two night trains in this beautiful country, which connect you from the capital to Scotland or Cornwall, which I recently been to. And it's it's fantastic. You just like leave Friday after work. You go to Paddington Station and the following morning at eight o'clock, you are just walking by the sea, and this is just phenomenal. And yeah, so you you have things happening, and sometimes by just like staying curious and look at uh, options uh, available to you, yeah, you,
1: another narrative is possible. I think time is obviously a key part of it but you meet people who want to have conversations when you're on a train which you don't on planes you see the the places between which is where things happen it's where stories happen and it's just such a more invigorating form of travel if you if you have the privilege of the time to do it I think yeah that really resonates with me the final kind of official question I wanted to ask was I wanted to know what your hopes and ambitions are for your career over the coming years. If, if you even have that mindset, you don't need to. But how are you kind of thinking about the future?
0: Yeah, so I think my ambition is to continue learning and growing in the field of responsible and regenerative design. As I mentioned before, I'm doing a, a few trainings. I've done two uh, recently and I'm currently doing one created by the inspiring Laura Storm about regenerative leadership which is very fascinating, a lot of yeah, mind blowing facts and tools and things which is um super exciting. But my ambition is yeah to also drive positive change and real impact through tangible actions. So this can be across industries and obviously the projects I'm I'm working on. But I don't think and that's why I love is I don't think this expertise or like this field has a boundary. So it feels like you know it's very inspiring for a designer to think about this this kind of unlimited space when you can almost like imagine this as a playground right Mm -hmm. and maybe yeah i think there's just like a very exciting challenge to solve and i just want to be part of this meaningful and transcending adventure as simple as that
1: it's a very cool place to be and it's it's such a great attitude to have it sounds like you're quite hopeful about the future.
0: I think I'm hopeful about the f- future of where I could go because it's an open field. However, I think it's important to talk about eco anxiety because throughout that journey, you're going to sometimes feel very depressed about what you've just seen and what you just learned. And it's important to acknowledge this and it's important to talk with people about this because some of those news or facts are huge and again back to the scale that we were talking about these are like at system level and sometimes really throughout this journey you realize pretty quickly that you are if you haven't realized it yet just like it's really small in a huge planet but also if I may kind of just recommend a couple of tips about how to deal with eco-anxiety is to think about the scale of impact you want to have. Personally, as I said at the beginning, starting with me was easier to then go wilder. But you can also think about just like if you want to do like a community garden with your neighbours and create or revive those connections you might have created during COVID time, that could be something that might be interesting. And if you don't have any direct impact or if you feel you don't, then you may realize that through activism you can. And activism works. Which is again something that's important to tell because we need activism in different fields to drive positive change. But yeah, I think so many so many things and from different fields that we already touched around, like politics, business, education, the product you buy. We talked about this a bit. The people you are voting for, the job you are doing, you you can change your job. You can try to find a job that is more aligned with what you do and what you are trying to achieve. So, yeah, just look out there, stay curious and just be involved, really. And then you will realize that there is a community out there waiting for you. So yeah, again, it's quite hopeful. (laughs) Sorry. I'm I'm quite a positive person, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) You can't help yourself.
1: No, it's infectious. (laughs) It's great. And I think community is so key. And and that's one reason I, I started this podcast and having these conversations is I am lucky to be surrounded by lots of people who feel like they're on this journey. But I wanted to expand that and bring more people into that and diversify those conversations and It feels really great to be doing that. And I encourage everyone to to do the same. And I also encourage everyone to think about designing the future in, in the way that you've inspired me to do both on like an individual level, but then level two, level three, it's a big journey, but I think there's a lot that everyone can do. Where can people find you? And do you want to be found, I guess, is the question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. You can find me on LinkedIn or Instagram by searching Elphage, E-L-P-H-E-G-E. Such a weird name, right? (laughs) And um, B-A-R-T-H-E. So you can find me on these two platforms but yeah just wanted to thank you Ben it's been a real pleasure and really delighted to chat
1: Well, thank you so yeah. much I've really enjoyed it and I've, I've learned a lot and I feel like I'm going to wake up tomorrow inspired as well which is <laughs> always a good feeling thanks so much for listening to The Climate Pivot if you've enjoyed the show and found it useful I could ask you to leave it a 5 star review subscribe or donate to the coffee link in this episode's show notes But if I'm honest, there's one thing I'd really love for you to do. I'd be grateful if you could recommend this podcast to two friends who think it might benefit. Who might be at the beginning of their own climate pivots or wondering how and where to begin. I'll be back with another episode soon. In the meantime, take care of yourself, others and the planet. And good luck with your climate pivot.